stand on the things that really matter to God, or are we just going to kind of fold? So is his will our will, or are we only concerned with our will, what we can get, how comfortable we can be? What famine do we see now? We see moral famines. We see this. At some point in some time, Christians need to decide, hey, you know what? We're either going to rock the boat or we're just going to stay in the boat, but the boat's a small place to stay. There's a whole world out there to allow us to run free, and we decide to stay on a boat because we don't want to offend or take a stand. We don't want to rock the boat, so to speak. stand for the things of the Lord, or are you going to stay in the boat? In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches that it is important to stand for God's Word and His will. Sometimes it can be easy to want to stay in the boat, where it is safe and comfortable. However, God desires for you to step out of the boat and step out of your comfort zone. Fear of offending others or rocking the boat is not worth missing the potential opportunity for you to reach someone with God's love and truth. Don't be afraid to share the Lord and His truth with others. He is with you, and He will give you everything you need. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21 for today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 is where we'll pick up. It says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. And so if we stop there... And when we think about a famine and what is a famine, well, before we get into all that stuff, I kind of want to illustrate this with a little bit of a story. There was a lifeguard that was on duty one day, and he had noticed an incredibly large man in the water, and, and the man was in trouble. So the lifeguard, what he does is he dives into the water, he swam out to the man, but he stopped short of the man, and the lifeguard noticed the size of the man as he was swimming out to him and as he stopped short. And so the lifeguard said, to himself, you know, I'm not going to take this guy. He's too large. And so the lifeguard considered his dilemma a little bit. Not only was the man sizable, he was also trying to save himself. He was afraid. He was swinging his arms crazily, and, and he was panicking, and he was in trouble. And in an effort to save himself, the man was swinging and hitting the water wildly. And as his energy was draining quickly, the lifeguard continued to just tread water at a short distance, not because he didn't care about the man, but because he was waiting for the man to stop trying to save himself. He knew he wouldn't be able to save the drowning man as long as he was using his own methods, insisting on his own strength and relying on his own abilities. And his cry, the man's cry for help, actually contradicted his efforts to save himself. So his efforts hindered the lifeguard's planned approach. Finally, the man's energy had left, and he had no more fight in him. When he stopped beating the water, and he stopped leaning on his own understanding, and he stopped using his own methods, the lifeguard took over, and he worked his way around to the man's back, reached over the man's shoulder, cupped the man's chin with his hand, And put an elbow under the man's back, under the man's shoulder blade, which allowed the man to kind of float up into the water, even though he was large. And then 
the rest of the man was able to rest on the lifeguard's hip as he side-stroked to the shore and saved his life. Even though the man was large, the rescue was possible because, well, the large man was resting on the strength of his Savior. And so once the man was calm, he gave all the credit to the lifeguard because he had realized that his own resources didn't get him out of the troubled situation that he was in. And so today we see David doing the same thing. He goes to his Savior because in verse 1 we find out there was a famine in the days of David for three years, and it tells us for year after year. If you're taking note, you might want to note, if you circle in your Bible, you might want to circle the word three, three years. And this is important, and we'll get to that in a minute. But scientists tell us that famines usually are the result of changes in climate from planetary disturbances to sunspot storms. But the simplest believer has a huge advantage over, well, the scientific scholar, for he knows that nothing can happen apart from the Lord, apart from the Lord allowing it to happen. So maybe there's a dry season for someone here. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that, man, life isn't good. Maybe when you open your Bible and just nothing is happening for you at home, and maybe you feel as if you're drowning in a sea of spiritual famine. Does it seem as if God's word quits speaking to you? And if it does, maybe the Lord has been trying to speak to you for so long about, well, a certain matter, and for whatever reason you ignored him or you just allowed him to be drowned out by all the things going on in your life. He, he may have been trying to quench you with a blessing, asking you to step in or just be willing to step out in faith and to start doing or stop doing this particular sin or start doing some something he's asking you to do, asking you to be obedient. And maybe he's just asking you to stop fighting, just to rest in him. He's close, and he he is just waiting for you to stop thrashing about and trying to do things on your own, relying on your own understanding. See, climate changes are secondary. Primary is the fact that God is in control. And maybe there's a climate in your household or in your life right now that's kind of dry and hot and causing you to feel a little withered. See, but God is creator. He possesses and he controls the forces of nature, the seasons of order and their order and the material foundation of man's life on earth. I mean, he controls all that. Psalm 104 tells us that. Uh, The exercise of this power by God directly corresponds to the relationship existing between him and man at any given time. And so at one end of the scale, you have this messianic day when we know that perfection will set in perfect accord between God and his people will exist. It's marked by unprecedented fertility of the earth. Isaiah 4.2 tells us, and also 41.19, Hosea 2.21, and and Amos 9.13. But on the other hand, the fruits of nature are withdrawn in times of disobedience. They're withdrawn. They're taken away in those times of disobedience when the relationship of God and man is dislocated. If anyone has ever dislocated a shoulder, you know, or a or any kind of a joint, you know that it's very painful. And to get it corrected, it's also very painful. I, when I used to skate a lot, one time I was, some guy came out to take some pictures and he wanted to see me jump something that all my friends had told him I'd been jumping. And what they failed to mention is I'd only landed this jump a few times. And so this one evening he came out and he said, look, man, we really need a couple of pictures and some video of you jumping this this thing, and it was, a, it was a gap, what I called a gap. It was probably something the equivalent of maybe 
15 feet tall, and then it was pretty wide in between, and it was like a parking garage. It was two parking garages. One was higher than the other, and, and there was no ramp, and I would just skate on the, on the ground, and I would just jump as hard and high as I could, and I would try to make it to the other side. And I would always make it. I would clear it, but I would never land it. Sometimes I would hit the, the railing, the big concrete rail of the other side, and I'd flip forward and, and hit my face, or sometimes I'd try to spin and do a cool trick because I got tired of landing on my face. And so I'd land on the back of my head and do these different things. So anyway, this one evening, the guy got down below, and he goes, do something spectacular. And I thought, well, it'd be cool if I had a ramp I could backflip over it and probably really just tear myself up. But I didn't, so I thought I would try a spin and try to land this jump backwards. And as I landed, I actually landed it, but then I slipped, and my feet went out. And as I slid, I was going so fast, I slid, and I hit a parking block and dislocated my shoulder. Well, I just thought it was sore, and it kind of hurt to sneeze, laugh, drive, shift gears, or do anything else. And the next day, I went to the doctor, and he goes, oh, you've just dislocated your shoulder. I can fix that pretty quick. And I said, cool. And he goes, would you like for me to do it? And I'd never dislocated a shoulder before, and I said, sure, go ahead. And when he finished, it took both nurses to hold me off of him because I, I was in so much pain, I was launching at him, ready to hurt him back because I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he had just punched my shoulder After a few seconds, it did feel pretty good. The pain went away, but I was sore for a few days. And so sometimes getting that thing fixed hurts almost as much as dislocating it. And sometimes it hurts when until we get our spiritual situation a little fixed. There's some repenting. There's some hurt feelings. There may even be some hurt pride, which needs to be hurt. But nonetheless, like I told you, if you look at the number three, three years, I submit to you that David has not connected with God for three years. It doesn't say that he had prayed. It says, after three years, then David inquired of the Lord. And then it tells us what the Lord had answered. And so now what we see here today, if you're taking note, is that famine, here's what famine does in the land or in your life spiritually, famine forces fellowship. Famine forces fellowship. It's sad but true, but most people call themselves Christians. We know that Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. But like any relationship, if it's going to be a good one, it's going to take communication and love. And really good relationships have self-denial mixed in with that. And with love, good communication, and self-denial, well, you've got a really good recipe for a successful relationship, whether it be a best friend or even in a marriage. But if someone in that relationship stops the communicating, if they stop coming around, if they stop serving the other person, well, then the relationship begins to dry, wither, or even die. And so it's not God that leaves the relationship between a Christian and God. It's always us that either walk away or force him to step back when we continually to sin or when we are not addressing our sins the way we should. So another reason for those dry times in life is it may just be a season. It may just be something that you're going through because we all know life happens. And sometimes it's those things that we have no control over. But I also would say that that's probably 10% of the time. So here we see David seeking a solution. David gets an answer and he finds out the dry season is because Saul, Saul sinned. What did he do? Look at verse 2. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. And now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, 
but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Now let me go back real quick. This part of the Second Samuel chapter 21, they're not sure when this all took place. So these next four verses are just kind of out of order. Uh, this isn't chronological. So this could have happened early in David's life, late in David's life, when, when this Gibeonite situation took place. We don't know when it really took place, but we do know that it took place. You won't see it mentioned anywhere in First or Second Samuel. And so here what happens, you have to go back to the book of Joshua. If you, the Gibeonites came, and, and if, I'm sorry you weren't here when we studied it, but the Gibeonites, if you go all the way back, I think we studied that book about eight years ago, we read about the Gibeonites in the book of Joshua. And the Gibeonites had heard of the children of Israel. The children of Israel were marching on Jericho and Ai, and the Gibeonites kind of had an encampment or their towns or whatever were kind of in that area. And so they'd heard about all that was going on that they were doing in the land, wiping out the inhabitants of the land. And so they kind of got a little fearful. And what they did is the Gibeonites came to trick the children of Israel because they heard of the power of their God. And so they came with moldy bread and old wineskins with patches and just dirty clothes and made it look like they had been traveling a very, very long way. And so they tricked the children of Israel and they make a covenant, the children of Israel with the Gibeonites, and they were to become, the Gibeonites were to become the servants of the Israelites. And so under Saul's rule and reign, he breaks this peace treaty. And 40 years after Saul does this to this point where we're at, Saul does this, there's suddenly this dryness in the land. The revelation of God to David is, hey, bro, the reason there's dryness in the land, the reason that, uh, that you're going through a tough time is, well, there needs to be a, a righteous requirement for breaking the law. And God being God is saying something needs to happen. Payment, there was a sin. And you might say, are you kidding this is for real happening. And because, I mean, I thought this when I read it and I studied it. It's like, man, this isn't even David's fault. I, I could understand if David's hands were in the mix of this, but this isn't even David's fault. Well, why is this such a big deal? Well, because God is God and, and sin is sin and there still needs to be a sacrifice. And so the Israelites at this time were still under the law. They were still under the law. So the law requires a sacrifice for sin. They lived under a sacrificial system. And so God required a sacrifice for many reasons. But the number one reason is because sin is serious. If you're, if you're taking notes, write down sin is serious. And when sin happened back then, something or someone had to die. And there had to be blood. So sin is serious. Number two, sin is very destructive. Sin is very destructive. Oh, when you're out killing the animal for a sacrifice of sin, you'll see that sin is very destructive. I mean, you've got to walk up to an animal, and you might think, oh, what a cute animal. And, and the animal's kind of looking at you with those big brown eyes, just kind of like, oh, look, I'm happy to see you. Are you feeding me? And you have to put it to death. Number three, sin is very expensive. Sin is very expensive. Somebody's got to pay the price. And so where there's no law, well, there's no order. Oh, we know what would happen if we took down speed limit signs and we took down direction signs. People would go, I mean, I would probably be the first one to abuse some of that stuff. I would drive as fast as I possibly could. If I went the wrong way, I would probably just turn around on the freeway and go down the on-ramp, the opposite direction, because it's convenient. And so where there's no law, there's no order. 
And if there's no order, there's chaos. If you've ever been to a third world country and driven on some of those roads, uh, it's chaotic. You've got sheep and people and bicycles and buses and cars and everything trying to go down a two-lane road, and it's very chaotic, and, and everybody's going in every direction. See, God gave to the Jew a law, a set of rules to protect them. Uh, to protect them, it provided order. The law also provided peace. If you think about what the law does, there's these limits. And so the law provides these limits, which allows us to live in peace. And the limits were basically an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, so to speak. So if you and I got in a fight, you knocked out my eye, well, then somebody in my family could come and take your eyeball and knock it out. Or if you knocked out a tooth, then you would have to pay with a tooth. But if there was no law and there was no limit, so you and I are in a fight, and I knock out a tooth of yours, and then all of a sudden your uncle or your brother or your father comes and wipes out my whole family. That's not very fair. And so there was a law there to keep things a little fair. And so what will America and our children have when you think about it, and when you and I, what will we have to pay the price for? You know, I think about that all the time is, you know, what are we paying the price for? What spiritual famine are we about to run through? I mean, we have a law, and there's certain laws that are there to protect us, but yet every day we decide that we're going to make truth something else, and then truth can't be truth if we keep changing the definition of what truth is. And so what if you think about that? If our children later on in life, we'll have to pay the price of something we've done, just like David and the children of Israel. He's not Saul's family, but he has to pay the price. And someone in Saul's family, if you've read ahead, you know that they're going to pay the price. So how how many Christians is the question today? How many Christians will go and take a stand on things that matter to God? How many of you in this room are willing to do that? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you are really willing to do that, to take a stand on things that matter to God? Yesterday, we were at the mall. And we were just standing and we were watching Asa goof around in one of those wind machines that says 78 mile per hour hurricane winds. And he was in there and he was just pretending that he was being knocked around. And this older lady stopped and she asked us a question. What do you think about Rick Perry running for president? And I was just like, I don't even know her. So I was like, I don't know. I mean, uh, anybody could probably do a better job than who we have now. But I mean, how many times has that been said over the years? And that's kind of all I said. And she was like, well, I was a, you know, and she starts telling me her political, her campaigning for Barack Obama and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. And she was like, can you believe these things that they're taking away these abortion clinics and there's not going to happen? And I'm like, whoa, I'm kind of the wrong person to talk to that about. You know, I work with an abortion recovery team and I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And our kids are there. And as much as I wanted to sit down and discuss with her, You know, she asks a question, and one of the things was, is like, why would you ask me a question knowing that I could possibly answer contradictory to what you think, and then you're going to get mad at me and yell at me? And the mommy, she was yelling and following my wife and my kids and myself through the mall. So I was like, look, you really don't want me to sit down and have a discussion with you right now. It'd be better if you just left. And as we walked out, Jess was like, man, I'm really bothered. I'm really like, well, we just need to pray for her. We just need to pray for her. And she's standing there with kids, and our kids are there talking about how great abortion is. And I was like, no, it's not. And so where are we going to be? What are we going to be willing to take a stand on? Because we know the other side is out there in the malls, 
And I'm, this lady was not young at all. She had to be at least 65, 70 years old. And she's out there fighting, and she has the right to say whatever she wants because we live in America, and there are laws that protect those rights and give her those rights and people that have fought and died for those rights, and I respect all of that. I just don't have to agree with her. And so where are we going to be? What are we going to take a stand on? Are we going to stand on the things that really matter to God, or are we just going to kind of fold? So is his will our will, or are we only concerned with our will, what we can get, how comfortable we can be? What famine do we see now? We see moral famines. We see this. At some point and some time, Christians need to decide, hey, you know what? We're either going to rock the boat or we're just going to stay in the boat, but the boat's a small place to stay. There's a whole world out there to allow us to run free, and we decide to stay on a boat because we don't want to offend or take a stand. We don't want to rock the boat, so to speak. And it might be very shallow water that we rock that boat in. Sometimes we think, oh, that's not going to affect me. That's not going to bother me. Maybe not. It may not affect you, but it may affect someone in your house, someone you know, someone down the road. Look at verse 3. We're covering a lot of ground today. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah, of Saul, whom the Lord chose, and the king said, I will give them. Pretty harsh when you think about this. David's got to find seven guys to hang, to pay the price because of another person's mistake. And you might say, well, man, what's up with that? Well, to right the wrong. He, he had to right the wrong that Saul had perpetrated upon the Gibeonites. The sacrifice to pay was seven of Saul's grandsons. And so these guys came and they say, hey, doesn't your Bible say in Numbers, and if you think about this, you can write this down, Numbers thirty-five, thirty-three, that whoever sheds blood, that no atonement can be made except for the blood who shed it. Uh, so, you know, it, it reminds me, and it's funny how your worldly friend will quote the Bible to you when you blow it, right? Have you ever had that happen? I remember one time as a brand new Christian, I was doing something and a buddy of mine came up and said, hey, doesn't your Bible say not to do this. And I remember thinking, holy cow, it does. And I'm doing it. Oh, what is going on? And that's what's going on here. Uh, See, the whole world has us under a microscope. And it's funny how much they know that we're supposed to keep the rules. And that's fine. They can, they need to. That's kind of like accountability. King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his creator, He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. 
Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.